Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Highly Functional. This is Brianne Showman, and I am joined today by Coach Cliff Pittman. Cliff is an endurance runner coach who specializes in the ultra distances. We had a great conversation today covering all aspects of what it takes to be an ultra runner, um, both their lifestyle and their training. Whether you are currently an ultra runner or wish to be one, and whether you are an athlete, a clinician, or a coach, I think you'll find this conversation highly valuable. So let's tune in. Cliff, thank you for joining me today. How are you? Absolutely. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on. You are quite welcome. I'm excited to talk to you. I've been watching you for a bit just because of your relationship with my brother and uh, super excited to just dive into who you are and what you do because you you definitely have a, I don't want to say different aspect than most endurance coaches do, but um, I think you focus a lot more on how not to let people get injured than a lot of other people do. So I'm excited to talk to you. Um, first and foremost, who are you? Yeah, you bet. And so, um, you know, who am I? Um, first, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a father and, and a husband. And so those, those roles are the most important thing in my life. Um, but they integrate so well with me as a runner and a coach. Um, and that's kind of, you know, I found that, that place in life where everything just has so much synergy and everything just works so well together. And, um, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. If, if you've ever experienced that, just to have all of your roles or the hats that you wear just kind of coincide. And, you know, for example, to tonight, I'm going out with my local running club and I'm going to coach a, a group there through a workout and I'm bringing my 11 year old son out there to do the workout with me. And it's just, it's just our lifestyle. And so, um, yeah. And then, you know, as far as a, a coach and a runner, um, both of those are very much ingrained in, in my identity uh, from an early age. I uh, and participated in sports really early in life. And it was quickly evident that like the benefits um, or the skill sets or the attributes that I had in those like little league sports was my speed. And so my parents were wise enough to say, well, let's just get you out for track. And so in fifth grade, I joined a local track um, and cross country community a club. But they had a really good organization, great community there in, in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And they got introduced to competitive track and cross country that early in life. And I just, I fell in love. I loved the competing. I loved running. I ran anything from 100 meters up to the 3000 meter. Um, they wouldn't let us go any further at that age. <laughs> and so, I, you know, I had a lot of range. Um, and so I, I enjoyed running sprints and distance and um, got to travel and, and, and compete in uh, USATF national championships and AAU and got to go across the whole country like in, by the time I was in junior high. And so that was a really cool and unique experience as a, as a young athlete in formative years of my life. So I had a, a very much of a passion um, for running that extended all the way into, into high school and had a really good high school uh, track career that ended abruptly um, after indoor track season my senior year. I uh, pulled my hamstring while I was in Florida on uh, vacation for spring break. And I was running in the sand, which I wasn't accustomed to <laughs> on the beach and, and pulled it. 
And it uh, turns out I, I couldn't bounce back from it. I didn't know what was going on. My coach was getting frustrated with me. We're entering into outdoor season. And uh, it turns out it was a tear. So I um, didn't really have my head on straight at that point in time and wasn't invested in academics like I should have been. I was counting on a, you know, a track scholarship and barely had the grades in order to, to make that work um, and ended up opting for the military and kind of a, you know, an irrational decision at the time to say, well, I'm just going to walk away from track because things aren't working out and, and pursue the army. And uh, at 17 years old, I had my parents sign the dotted line, giving me consent to join. And um, I shipped off to basic and spent spent a decade, spent 10 years in the army. And um, it was a, a, an entirely different chapter of my life where I got away from running for the most part. Um, for several years, it was very still much a uh, big part of my identity and uh, I was very fit. But then after some time, especially I guess it was in 05, 06 when I deployed to Iraq, I got away from running altogether and I put on a lot of weight. And so right now, you know, I look like a typical, I don't know, I, there is no typical body for an ultra runner. So I don't want to say that, but I, you know, I look like what a, a road runner would look like. I'm 136 pounds, I'm a small guy. Um, I got up to 188 pounds uh, when I was on deployment, just from lifting and, and eating. <laughs> Obviously that's, that's how it works. <laughs> so I uh, was in a, you know, massive caloric surplus every day. And, um, uh, when I came back, I got into an army desk job as a recruiter. And, um, so I think it was 2000 and 2010, I believe where I was introduced to CrossFit and I was still in the military at the time. And I fell in love. I was like, well, this is very functional and, and, and applicable to, you know, what we do in the army. Um, it wasn't, you know, as big of a brand in 2010. I think that was like pre-Reebok days. And, you know, the games were only like a couple years in or something, I would imagine. And um, it, it, I fell in love with it. I ended up getting all my recruits into it and everybody in the recruiting office into it. And it just kind of caught fire in my little circle. And um, did CrossFit for, uh, let's say, five years up until 2015. Um, I exited the military, by the way, in 2012. Um, right before I exited CrossFit training in 2015, I actually went and got a CrossFit endurance certification. And uh, that's really when I kind of refound my love for endurance training. Um, I'll have to get my my girlfriend at the time, my now wife, credit for that because she's a she's a USA uh, triathlon coach and, and personal trainer. And so she was giving CrossFit a try to kind of just experiencing something new. And uh, she came out to one of the one of the workouts and the workout was I can't remember what the wad was, but it was it was heavy front squats and an 800 meter run in between. And so I ran by her and she's like, wait a minute, CrossFitters aren't supposed to be that fast. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, you. So she, she, she tried to recruit me in the triathlon, which, which did work. Cause I ended up doing a half, half Ironman and she, she coached me. Um, and so then I went and got the CrossFit endurance certification because like, I love CrossFit. I don't want to give that up, but I also want to get back into endurance training. And, uh, so I did, uh, my first, this was my first marathon in 2016 or no, the end of 2015 did the Dallas marathon. Um, didn't go very well. Like, 
Uh, I think I ran a 355, but it was significantly slower than what I anticipated. But it was a it was a you know a very minimal running approach. Um, I was running three days a week. I was doing CrossFit five days a week, and just low mileage, high intensity, and the wheels fell off at mile 16. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I went through a few of the certifications in uh, 2016 and started learning more of the, the exercise science. And, um, you know, I, I found out quickly that I started falling in love with just the running aspect and my, my focus on strength transitioned more to a, Hey, let's, let's find a way to, to, um, lift and, and, and move our body in a way that's conducive to running performance specifically. And I got away from that generalized approach. Um, and I still support that. You know, a lot of the, the people that I work with, that's one of the first questions I ask them, well, what is your goals in running? And, you know, is, it, is it general fitness? You want to, you know, uh, are you, are you looking to maintain your, your max deadlift or, um, are you looking to optimize your marathon time or run a hundred miles? So depending on where they want to go, you know, it's the, the approach we take. And so, um, but for the most part, I, I, I work with and in my own training is more of the, hey, let's let's optimize running performance. And then so strength becomes, as you're very familiar with the, the preventative um, side of things and not the, the general performance that, that CrossFit offers. Yeah. Uh, and then I guess it was 2019, I got into the ultra space. Uh, I ran my first 50K in 2019 and fell in love with the trails. We got some beautiful trails where I live here in Fayetteville, Arkansas, and uh, met, your, met your brother Matthew at the same time. And uh, we became running partners, training partners, and just really best friends ever since. And so that's been really great to, to get to know him. He's a remarkable person. And um, so coaching, as far as running goes, um, started in 2017, working with some athletes on the side. And um, I guess it was 2019 where I started getting a full, full load. And then right when after I ran that, that uh, ultra, that 50K, and started going in that direction, my athlete load started shifting towards ultra athletes. And um, I, I would say, you know, I'm not exactly an experienced ultra runner. Um, you know, I've I can't, I can't count how many 50Ks I've run in the last few years because most of them are training runs. But <laughs> I, uh, you know, I've run a couple 50 milers and I'm training for my first 100 right now. But the fascinating thing is in the coaching space is that I have coached um, just countless people through 100 mile. I'm coaching someone through the Triple Crown of 200s right now and coaching people through things that I've never done myself. And that's very deeply rooted in my coaching philosophy. Um, you know, I don't believe that we have to necessarily have all the answers. Um, we need to have a blueprint. We need to have a plan. We need to understand the physiology, the, the training principles that go behind it. Um, but I think coaching in, on the art side of coaching is very much about drawing out people's potential, potential managing that relationship, understanding the, the, the psychology and how to get more out of people and believe in people to a, to a degree that they may not even believe in themselves enough. And so I'm a, I'm a life coach too, I'll throw that out. So um, I'm, I'm a life coach also, it's a big part of my business model. And that also integrates into 
how I coach runners as well. Um, so now, yes, what I do full time now as a as a as a coach, and that's kind of who I am in a long winded answer. <laughs> long winded answers work. <laughs> um, does like I know you do a lot of strength programming for your runners um, for the injury prevention side. Does that stem from what you know from CrossFit? Does that stem from what you know from just other classes and training that you've had? Like, where does that come from? Because I know it's not necessarily real common for running coaches to really focus on that strength aspect all the time. Yeah, yeah, you bet. And so it, it does come from, um, you know, a lot of that I do lean on my wife heavily as a, as a certified personal trainer. I've learned a lot from her. I've consumed all of her material in our library. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I'm on, you know, informally educated in that regard. Um, and so I, I wouldn't say that it necessarily stems from my time in CrossFit because I don't, um, apply that as much into the programming. Um, I'm a big fan of Jay Deshari. Familiar with Jay? And so I, I you know, I like his work. Um, I, I like his approach to things. And I would say that as far as an ideology goes, that's how I program. And okay. so, um, you know, typically it's, um, two to three type, um, injury prevention type precision workouts or corrective type work a week. And then maybe two performance-based workouts that range 30 to 45 minutes and then tailored on the, on, on the individual. Okay. And, um, and then I periodize it based on where we're at in the training program, uh, what our focus is, what energy systems we're working on the running side of things and, and making sure that what we do on the strength side of things uh, supplement that as well. How do you, and you can ask this from a personal and professional standpoint, being that you're a parent as well, and obviously our training, how do you personally and how do you help other people find that balance because obviously putting the miles takes a lot of time doing the strength work takes time and then but they don't want to neglect their family and their job so how how do you work with someone and how do you kind of figure out how to address both aspects of it and get all that training in yeah that is such a great question because it seems to be um probably the the, the biggest thing that you know, most of the athletes that I work with struggle with when we first start working together is like, Hey, I'm ready to, I'm ready to invest in a coach. Like I'm, I'm very invested. I've got these big goals. I'm going to run a hundred miles and I understand it's going to require that I do the work. And then it's like, Oh, well, I've got all these like other responsibilities and I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I get all the time. Like, how do I manage all this? And, I, and you know, um, the first thing I think is just to, is to, is to understand that one, there will be some sacrifices that need to be made. Um, that doesn't need to be your family. <laughs> it doesn't need to be your career. So what else can you sacrifice? And so maybe that means you're, you're cutting back on the Netflix binges. So that maybe that means you're cutting back on some other hobbies that you have in your life um, to meet the demands that this is going to require that you, um, are prepared to have a good race day experience and then also don't injure yourself in the process. Um, the second thing I think is to just really communicate on the front end is to recruit that support circle. You know, first thing they did, they, they've hired me, then I'm, I'm, I'm a support 
part of their support network. I highly encourage everybody that I work with to make sure that they have a PT, um, you know, somebody that's an expert in that space because I'm not, and um, to make sure that their family is a big part of their support circle. And so um, the first thing we do is to construct a mission statement, a running mission statement as to like, this is why I run. This is the value that I get from running. And this is the value that I put back into the community because of running. And that's kind of one of the core like mental strategy that we take is, is being able to use that purpose or that mission statement as emotional rocket fuel. When you get deep into a hundred miles or maybe even a 50 K or a marathon, you know, and, and it starts getting tough. You got to remember why you're out there and you got to have something that you can emotionally engage with um, when you have nothing else to give. <laughs> and so um, that's kind of the genesis of like building out uh, a mental strategy for, for training. But it also is a key component to be able to communicate to your family um, or to other parties that are invested in sharing your time so that they understand how important it is to you. And that instead of them, um, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Just uh, kind of, uh, you know, being jealous, I guess, in a way of the time that you're spending out training to see it as a way of like personal development. Like, okay, you're out bettering yourself. You're out chasing goals. And I can support you in that because I want you to be the best version of yourself. And when you can recruit those family members or other parties that are invested into your corner to support your own growth and development, because it means something to you, you can communicate why, and they see that vision, it's a whole different story. And then the next thing you know that they're out there, they're part of your race day crew. You know, they're, they're making sure you're hitting your nutrition strategy and they're making sure that you're, you're prepared and, um, it, and, it's, and it's a whole different ballgame when you get the family involved. And so I think those are the two, the two core components of, 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 of balancing is just um, setting right expectations, um, being willing to sacrifice some other areas that, that aren't as important to you as your goals. And, um, and making sure that you recruit the loved ones on board to share your vision for why you're doing this. I love that idea of creating that mission statement for, for that purpose. Cause you know, you think about it as far as I've known people who create it for directly their family or create that mission statement for their business or their just job duties, but to create around that purpose too, to help people to just help others understand like why you're doing it and to help support you is, is really cool. Yeah, you know, every entity that has, you know, a company, organization, they, they all have mission statements and for good cause. And uh, as, as athletes, I think it's important that we, we do the same. Yeah, I would agree. That's cool. How do you, I mean, obviously you don't coach people for the purpose of them getting injured, but injuries still happen. How do you go about then helping them? Obviously, you are your mental physical therapist on their team, but then from a training standpoint, how are you thinking about helping them manage those injuries? How do you get them to like in their mind, you know, knowing they have to change their training plan, right? For a while, like, what does that process look like? Yeah, great question. And, and in fact, right before we, we were talking, I just got off the call with somebody, one of my athletes who is experiencing an injury that has set him back more than, than what he anticipated. And we had to kind of have that, that, you know, tough discussion over, over everything. And, um, 
realigning expectations and, and figuring out how to get back on track. And, um, you know, how I manage it on, on the front end is just is, is making sure that we account for all types of stress. And, um, you know, stress is stress, whether that's uh, stress at work, whether that's stress in the training program, whether that's uh, stress in relationships. Um, I, I need subjective feedback from everybody that I work with. Um, while I monitor and love the data and, and analyze all the metrics, um, that's only 50%. And I, and I would encourage anybody here that is um, either working with a coach or an expert, or even if you're self-coached, it's just to be very true with yourself and authentic as to the stress that you're experiencing, how you're feeling, keep a journal, write things down so that you have a reference point for when things start to go bad. And, um, you know, there, there's patterns that, that, that can be established and we can kind of uh, be ahead of these things on the front end when stress becomes to accumulate. And we, um, you know, we, we intentionally apply the overload and recovery principle. And so we want to overload with stress in the training program. And then we want to back off and we want to recover so that we can go through that adaptation period of all the training stimulus. And so, but we don't want to go so far that we go like and fall into the well, <laughs> you know, uh, we don't want to overload that much. Um, and, and so that's, that's kind of a very tricky process of, of squeezing out, you know, all the adaptations that are possible without getting injured. And I think that we have to account for all the life, the life stress on the front end. Um, but it does happen. And, uh, you know, the athlete that I just spoken with, he was in a fatigue state. We were finishing up a four week intense training block of lactate threshold work. We were starting in, in build out the long run at the same time. And it's just a hard phase. And he, um, was on some very like off camber, difficult terrain up in New Hampshire, up in the, you know, Appalachian mountains. And he, uh, stepped on, on some a rock wrong and ended up injuring his knee and it was just one of those deals where it was like well who knows you know um the fatigue probably had a lot to do with it and it just you know poor step had a lot to do with it too um but here we are and now his his a race is is not achievable and so we had to kind of sit down and say well we got to regroup and uh, we went back through and looked at the last several weeks leading up to it. We understood the training stress. Uh, we understood the life stress. And then we understood you know, the, the aspects that we could not control that led to that event too. And then um, from there, we had to just um, say, well, what could we have done better? What did we do right? What did we do wrong? Um, okay, well, I could have done a better job in this regard. He could have done a better job in this regard and we learn from it. Um, now, going forward, as we go through this recovery phase, we have a much better plan of action to make sure that we are communicating better in certain regards so that we don't repeat this, if at all possible. So I think just learning when we, when we experience injuries, um, whether that be a matter of trying to just gut, you know, grit it out and push through like a little, what we think of as a minor injury and we end up making things worse. We need to learn from that. We need to say like, Hey, I could have made a better decision. <laughs> um, you know, I'm in my, in my late thirties and I'm just now learning that, um, just last weekend, actually I had, I had you know, I had a calf issue. It's a very, very minor issue. Um, but I had a B race 
a training race and I pulled the plug nine miles into a 50k. I was feeling amazing, but the calf started tightening on me. And so I pulled the plug, wasn't happy about it, but you know, after 24 hours and I was able to kind of digest, digest a little bit, I was like, man, that was a really good decision that, you know, a couple of years ago, I wouldn't have made, I would have tried to gut it out. And then I would have missed two or three weeks of training. And, you know, because I learned from those lessons now, I'm able to jump right back into my training this week and things are close to close to normal. So I think it's just, you know, learning from the lessons, learning from the mistakes, building wisdom <laughs> through <laughs> mistakes <laughs> um, goes a long way. Um, and then, as you mentioned, just making sure we have experts in our corner. Like um, I can, you know, with my athletes, I'll make sure to program accordingly for injuries to make sure the stress is is low the volume is low no intensity those types of things recovery type work but the main thing is that they have an expert in that space a pt to, to help them through the process that i can work in partnership with them let's take a quick break now to talk about os first compression and bracing it is commonly known that compression helps with circulation we see that medically decreasing your risk of blood clots. We see that on flights, using compression to decrease swelling. And even with racing, a lot of times we'll see it with decreasing or improving our circulation there as well. What you might not know though, is we actually decrease the fatigue in our feet and legs when we use compression while training. Why is this? The added compression actually helps the muscles fire faster and better. So that means all those little small muscles in your foot and lower leg don't have to work quite as hard when you do every single thing you do. Long-term, it means you get to perform better for longer. So check out OS First Compression for yourself. Test it out. See if you get those amazing benefits that I notice for myself. You can head over to osfirst.com to check out all of their amazing products. And if you use code GETYOURFIX at checkout, you can save 15%. You can also head over to getyourfixpt.com partners, get a direct link to OS First, as well as see all the other partners that I have some discounts for. And now let's get back to the conversation. I think too, another thing, um, when we're talking about life stress, um, I think another important thing to get into is like when we're stressed, our performance is not going to be the greatest. Um, and that sometimes it's important that even if you're like, if your workout's written to have some really hard hill repeats, that might not be the smartest thing to do. If you just dealt with like a 10 out of 10 stress level at work all day. Um, and that we need to be willing to make modifications to our programs based on kind of what life situations bring us to. Yeah, great point. You know, I don't know if, if uh, how much if you use or how familiar you are with like HRV tracking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the benefits that is adding to the market is people are realizing that, oh, wow, I just I need to adjust today because I drank too much last night or I slept like crap, you know, just, <laughs> just some <laughs> basic things that we may not be just intuitive about. We're like, okay, we're just trained through it. We'll be fine. 
but like, no, actually, I didn't make smart decisions last night. And so because of that, I need to make a smart decision now so that tomorrow I can be, the, you know, be prepared to take on stress. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, great point. Yeah. How much, and I know you've been trained and it's partially how you got over some of your injuries in the past too. How much running technique are you doing with your coaching? Um, you know, I, I actually don't do a lot of um, technique coaching. Um, I did in the past and I found that it is such a uh, exhaustive effort to make sure you know to help people <laughs> overhaul like it, it, they need somebody with like eyes on that can just really oversee the whole process and so somebody myself i'm an example of someone who has overhauled my form i was uh, overstriding heel striker um you know i worked on increased my cadence i brought the foot under hips and uh it was a game changer for me but that was a phase of my life where i was at the same time getting back into running simultaneously so it was perfect for me to overhaul my form as i was running five to ten miles a week <laughs> um you know there's a lot of people that i work with right now that are running 80 to 100 miles a week and we can't overhaul their form unless we take their volume all the way down mm -hmm. and so the only time that we can do that is if we are in a true off-season time frame where there's no goals in the near future that we can step back and say, okay, let's, let's focus on the chassis. <laughs> you've got this, you've got this huge engine that can, you know, it needs more support from the chassis and uh, we, we can focus on those things. Um, so what I do right now is um, I, I encourage everybody to get into a, an expert, a local expert that they have. And I, I try to find local experts and I have one um, here locally that I work with and he uses the, is the run scribe, I think. Okay. technology and um i think it's run scribe i can't remember but it's it's one of those it's one of the technologies they um where you know you go in you get on a treadmill they hook you up to a thousand different um you know things all and, and, and all the sensors and and they can analyze every aspect of your game and and so um you know i, I encourage people to, to to go that approach um Although I will still analyze and say, okay, you can make these small corrections and, and get some additional improvement here. But I, I think that I've come to the point where I have the humility to say that I'm not a subject matter expert in that, where I can look and I can slow things down and say like, yeah, that's, that's not how it should be. <laughs> but how do we get to where we need to be? Um, I need to, I, I need to call somebody in here that has the expertise to do this. And I think that the, the longer I coach, the more and more I realize that, you know, I need my own support circle in my coaching practice because there's so much, so much out there and I can't wear all the hats. Yeah. Um, I'm an expert within programming and um, within the, the relational aspect to get people to optimize the performance in the training process and then to squeeze out every ounce of performance on race day. And so I try to stay in my lane. <laughs> that's what I love. Like it bothers me when people are trying to do like everything. And that's why I reached out to you. Cause I'm like, you know, ultra stuff. Like that's <laughs> I go up and to ultra specific has become like my, my jam. And 
And so I, I uh, what my mentor, um, so I'm, I have a coach myself, Andy Jones Wilkins, uh, AJW is his name. And he's been running and coaching for 20 plus years. And he's very, got a, he's phenomenal background in history in the sport. And so we have the same coaching ideology, which is why I reached out to him, which is under the uh, uh, Jason Coop is uh, a, a big name in our sport and so, someone that I'm a student of and I've been studying his work for several years now. And so that's the ideology and the approach that I take to, to programming. But I found, and I went through Jason Coop's certification and, and learned a lot in that process. And um, one reason why I love ultra and trail specifically is because the sciences is so new in the sport. You know, if you look at the culture, it's very much like, hey, let's just go out and accumulate a ton of volume and see what happens on race day. We'll have a lot of fun in the process. And it's like, you know, there's an actual like <laughs> entire science dedicated <laughs> to, to how to go through these like progressions and, <laughs> you know, perform your best. And so um, it's really cool because it's, it's, it's still very, very much brand new and the, the sport is not saturated whatsoever. Um, it, there's so many opportunities for, for a coach and I encourage anybody that wants to throw their hat in the ring with an ultra and trail coaching, like do it the more the merrier. It's, uh, there's a lot of athletes out there that need help um, and, need, and need guidance. Um, and it's the fastest growing endurance sport in the world right now. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, and I think it's, it is important to point out, like you said, like running, like improving running technique does take time and you do have to take a step back. But I think that's one of the beauties of like me and why like I get to work on it so quickly with people because I'm like, I get them in injury point before they're even back to running again. So it's like, it's a perfect time to start working on it. Exactly. That's the prime time to do it. You bet. I don't, I don't have anybody. I, I've never had anybody come to me injured before that hired me. So. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they're finally running again. And they're good. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it's just a matter of like, okay, what injuries have you had? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's the conversations that we, yeah. that we have. What's your history? <laughs> Yep. <laughs> awesome. If someone is maybe new to the ultra world or kind of investigating it, thinking maybe they want to start do like even just a 50k, like they've done the marathon thing, want to go up a little bit more. What are kind of some of like top three tips you can give them for kind of starting to make that transition? Yeah, you bet. So first is just not mistaking that a 50k is just a long marathon it's not it's totally different and uh you know you may be a 330 marathoner but depending on what 50k you run it could take you six or seven hours and so you prepare for a six or seven hour race significantly different than you do a three or three and a half hour race and so because of that the first thing is to start embracing the concept of training by time instead of mileage and the reason being is because adaptations take place whenever we have time at intensity, not mileage at intensity. And a 10 mile run can mean significantly different things if you're in the mountains and if you're running on the flat roads. <laughs> and so um, because of that, it's easier to, to, to kind of plan out our workloads and um, 
prepare for races whenever we embrace the time concept the training when we look at mileage or, or volume instead of thinking okay i gotta hit this amount of mileage um, the second thing is to get rid of the um the mentality of what does my longest run have to be and i think you know that can just kind of be applied to to road running too um really our, our indicators of performance on race day is accumulated training process over the entire block or the entire training cycle, not singular runs. And so I've had athletes that have missed so much training and we try to cram everything in you know, for whatever reasons, whether it be life or injury, we try to cram things in over like one big weekend or something. And that is not as um, efficacious as, making sure that like for six months maybe that we are consistent and get all that that volume over a six-month time frame and maybe our long runs aren't even quite as long so just to kind of look at things from a bigger picture would be, would be the second thing and the third thing just slow down just just slow down and embrace that that easy like aerobic training of um you know, the, the talk test is a great way to do it if, if, if you're not able to, um, you know, understand your training zones or to, to train by that approach. It's just to do a simple talk test of like, can I carry on a conversation with my with my training partner right now? If you can comfortably carry on a conversation and, you know, you're, you're training at the right intensity for an ultra. Um, now, as a as a caveat, that is for someone who is just getting into the into the space because the majority of the, the people that I work with, um, we, we do high, high intensity work <laughs> regardless. You know, I've, I said, I've, I've got someone that's doing the triple crown of 200s. That's three 200 mile races in a three month period. But his training program, you know, when we first started his training program six months out from his race, we were doing VO2 max work, you know, three minute, four minute, five minute intervals. And that's because we want to develop the cardiovascular oh, engine, um, and that requires high intensity work to optimize it. Yeah. Now, as we get closer, we're, we're progressing to more specific specificity. We're not doing VO2 max work, you know, within the last three to four months of his of his training program, just because that's the least important thing that he needs to run 200 miles. At that point, yeah. It's a high VO2 max. He needs stamina. He needs strength endurance. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of speed work, my um, so it's been like two years ago. My brother and I were both at my dad's for one of the holidays, and he's like, "Hey, bring your running stuff. We'll go for a run." <laughs> I was like, "I've seen your training paces. I'm not as fast as you anymore." <laughs> he's like, "No, I value my." He's like, "I value my recovery days. There's they stay slow." Yeah. Okay, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your your brother is uh, is a phenomenal phenomenal runner he it, he's gotten like from when we grew up together and ran together it's like he's gotten so much faster it's impressive that's the beauty about ultra and trail running it's like you know I'm not saying this about matthew but about myself or all of us it can be an old person sport we can do it you know for, forever and so we like i just mentioned vo2 max we we lose you know percentages of our vo2 max after 40 you know each decade and um so hey let's go longer i'm a naturally i'm a 400 800 meter runner that's my background <laughs> and so you know at, at 37 i'm like hey I, 
got to start going longer. (laughs) (laughs) Like I don't have that speed anymore. Um, (laughs) Now I know this question is going to be hard to answer because it depends on every single person. Um, But I'm curious, like starting points on how, like people testing things, questions I always see, like different Facebook groups, different forums is, nutrition for the ultra distance. Um, obviously everybody's different and what's going to respond to different things. Um, but just like starting to test things within your training run, like what are some good just tips, ideas there? Yeah, you bet. So nutrition is an area that I definitely, you know, that I work sports nutrition is an area that I work within daily. Um, it's also another area that I wouldn't say that I'm an expert in. I'm a journalist. <laughs> and so I lean heavily. Um, you know, my wife is an expert in this space within sports nutrition. Um, um, but you know, I, I would say some of the best best things to do is to, one, embrace – are you talking about sports nutrition specifically or just general nutrition for ultra training? Um, like sport. nutrition. Sport nutrition. Sport. Okay, yeah. So um, – the, the one is that we need the, the gut is trainable. Like we need to train the gut. And so it's, it's common ultra running is commonly referred to as like an eating contest. You know, like it's, it's a buffet. Like we're, we're, we're it's an eating contest with a little bit of running in between. <laughs> and it's so true. It is all about how much your gut can handle, how much energy can you consume and utilize um, within, you know, a given race. And so we want to optimize that. We want to be able to consume as much as possible without GI issues. Um, so we want to train that. We want to be very specific in the training process, especially in our long runs. And so um, about that three to four hour plus long run that we're getting in, we need to be practicing our race day nutrition to make sure that um, we are very comfortable with what we're eating. Um, what we're drinking and that on race day we're not trying to figure it out or we're not eating that quesadilla with a fireball shot you know because they're offering that you know at an aid station and it'll look good at the time like no if you didn't if you didn't practice that in training don't do it at an aid station in a race that's going to be miserable Um, (laughs) um, but also just kind of expanding that that capacity of like okay let's start out you know i think a sweet spot for most people is to try and like okay 250 calories an hour like see how your body responds to 200 to 250 calories an hour and see how that feels. Um, all right. The following long run over the weekend, let's, let's, let's bump that up to 275 or 300 an hour and see how that, that feels. Okay. You handled that. Well, let's, let's bump it up again. Let's find that upper threshold to where like, okay, that's, that's too much. That's, that's too many calories. I felt sick. Um, while we at the same time, optimize carbohydrate intake and so all the research suggests that it could be anywhere between 60 ideally to optimize 60 to 90 uh, grams per hour of carbohydrate intake and so we want to also monitor that um, and to optimize that and just to train the gut to, to handle more and then on race day make sure that we're, we're comfortable with the strategy that we perfected and in the training process and, and then don't deviate from that if possible. Now, when things fall off the rails, sure, we're gonna have to, you know, have some solutions on the go. And, and, and another another strategy is to kind of have a tiered system 
and um 50k is is kind of like hey let's just get out there and let's have a good strategy i i eat only gels on a 50k but if we're going beyond that you know 50 miler 100 well i guess i eat all gels for 50 mile too but if it's 100 mile race it's going to be different and um, there's the uh, have everyone set up three uh three tiers the first tier is like this is my go-to this is what i love to eat this is what i've perfected in training this is what I don't want to deviate from. So I know, okay, bananas work for me, oranges work for me, a certain kind of gel works for me, and an electrolyte mix works for me. Those are my four things in my first tier. Those are my go-tos. And then the second tier are things that um, I've tried in training. I know that I that they don't adversely affect me. I can handle them, but they're not my go-to. They're not my favorite. Um, I'll eat chips or I'll eat gummy bears or skittles or you know it's like not as high quality fuel in my you know in my first tier but i can still eat them and be okay and then the third tier are similar things to the first and second tier um and it's only if we get into a really bad situation and so you know palate fatigue or just gi distress is very common as we extend in these long long ultras we just get sick and tired of eating the same things over and over again. And you just can't handle another gel or can't eat another banana, just sick of it, you know? And so in this third tier, um, you know, example would be like, okay, well, I know that I can eat a banana and oranges. I'm good with that. Well, a similar thing would be, you know, another fruit, apples or, or grapes. That's they're, they're like, they're comparable. Um, you know, I, I know uh, that I can eat, jelly beans and be fine i probably can eat skittles too that's similar so okay. that's the third tier we do our best to stay away from those tier three items if at all possible but it's there in case of emergency and i think that it when people can compartmentalize their nutrition that way and say all right these are top three things um i won't deviate from it and i would like to stay in that first tier that's my bullseye then um that's really beneficial for people because the less thinking that we can do, that we have to do, the better. <laughs> we're in that type of environment. We just need to have everything planned out so that we just show up and, and do what we told ourselves to do previously. Like that just goes for life in general. Like the less decisions you have to make <laughs> on a daily basis, the better off we are. You bet. Yeah. And as the distance increases even further, you know, as people clear, you know, one of them, one of my athletes for these 200 milers is like, well, you've got to get three meals a day. And protein intake, and even though protein is not an energy yeah. source, we still have to make sure that's part of your strategy to prevent muscle breakdown whenever you're running for 70 plus hours. <laughs> right. So we've got to have, you know, we've got to take in protein. We've got to get in three meals. We've got to account for those things. And so um, once we get into those longer distances, it gets, it gets really complicated on the nutrition side, but it's also the most important thing that we can do in, in preparedness. That's, um, I think there's research out there that, that, that says that 80% of, of DNFs within the ultra distances are, can be linked back to nutritional failures. I wouldn't doubt it, especially if you're like other ultra runners I've talked to, or just people I've talked to, it's like, that's where a lot of those come from is just nutrition wasn't on point and something didn't go right and they crashed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You bet. So many factors to that too, with environmental physiology mm -hmm. and, you know, if you, if you're training and 
in 40 degree weather and you go to a race that's 90 degrees, well, your nutrition and hydration strategies are not applicable. <laughs> you, have, <laughs> right? you have to have a strategy prepared for the spe specificity of your event. And I think a lot of people miss that of, it's just a kind of a general concept of like, well, I'm just gonna do this and then it'll work on race day. But the law of specificity is, is really important in every regard to the training process. That makes a lot of sense. Well, Cliff, you have shared a ton of great information today. If someone has other questions for you or just wants to follow you, where can they find you at? Yeah, you bet. Thank you so much. Um, website is f2ecoaching.com. And the F2E stands for fit to endure, but f2ecoaching.com. And then uh, really active on social media. Instagram is uh, at Coach Cliff Pittman. And then on Facebook, uh, you can find me on there as well. Um, I, I send out a, a weekly newsletter and would love for anyone to, to plug into that and discuss all different types of topics that we've discussed today. And uh, so, yeah, that's, those are the best ways to, to reach out and awesome. um, love to connect with anybody. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate you coming on and talking with us. It's been an honor. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, you're welcome. And that concludes this week's episode of Highly Functional. If you enjoyed it and found the information helpful, I invite you to head over to Facebook and join my group, Obstacle Course Racing Athlete Health and Performance, where you can both join your OCR tribe as well as find very helpful, useful information on how to become a more dominant racer, a more resilient racer, and truly race at your peak performance. And until next time, let's go out and be highly functional.